welcome to the latest podcast from the Susie Lamplu Trust. I'm Suki Barker, Chief Executive of the Susie Lamplu Trust, and today I'm joined by Associate Professor Emma Short. Emma has a specific interest in psychology and technology at De Montfort University. She's a chartered health psychologist and has been researching the nature and the impact of online harassment for over 15 years now. Thank you so much, Emma, for joining me. Hi, hello. It's a real pleasure to be talking to you. So our discussion today is around cyber safety at work. We are very excited to announce that the Susie Lamplu Trust has launched a pilot study for National Personal Safety Day entitled Cyber Safety at Work. COVID-19 has meant that a vast proportion of our population is currently working from home as lone workers. And this is being carried out across online communication and social media platforms. Our report has brought to light some highly concerning behaviours that people are experiencing online in the workplace since the lockdown was implemented. A startling one third of participants have reported to be currently experiencing online abuse at work. And of those victims, as many as 83% state that the abuse has escalated over the period of the pandemic. Perpetrators include colleagues and patients or customers, and notably over a quarter of perpetrators of online abuse are either the victim's manager or superior. So this is incredibly troubling during this time of COVID-19, especially since the second lockdown uh, was announced. So Emma, I wanted to start by asking, why do you think there has been such a major increase in unwanted online behaviours and abuse at work? Well, there are likely to be a number of reasons. There's been a huge change of work practices, um, and that's meant that a lot of people have got increased workloads due to the demands involved in the transition, as well as having to keep up with the usual demands of their jobs and accommodating all the other changes in their lives that the pandemic's brought. Um, the pressure and stress caused by this has undoubtedly had a huge effect on the quality of communications. So that aside, the re- rapidity of the changing the conditions, the fact that we all had to jump in straight away, meant that many organisations were not able to prepare adequately for the transition in delivery or for the changes caused to work relationships. Concerningly, over half the respondents to this survey said they had not had guidance around personal safety or loan working policies. As well as that, there's what we already know about the nature of the online environment, which can exacerbate problem behaviours, as well as positive behaviours. One of the things that first emerged in online communications was something called online disinhibition, which is basically the lack of restraint that people can feel when they're communicating online in comparison to how they communicate with people in person. People generally feel safe with saying things online that they would not say in real life because they can have a feeling of anonymity and they certainly feel much less visible. This kind of lack of restraint has lots of pros and cons. So let's start off with the positives. People do feel more able to reach out to one another. You know, you bypass some of the social restrictions that sometimes stop you from reaching out to people that you don't know that well or who have just been work colleagues. So that can accelerate friendships. It can accelerate sources of support. But as well as that, this lack of restraint also means that communications can quickly become toxic. So communication can become negative and rapidly escalate into threatening or abusive communications. A lot of the work around online communications and understanding the pressures of working from home began in the 1990s. As we approached the millennium um, and became much more networked, 
a whole lot of work began to look around new ways of working, which is basically the idea of shifting the balance of the workforce so more people were working at home or becoming telecommuters. But it became clear that employers and individuals would need to invest in resource and support their workers at home in new ways. This would not just be a cost-cutting exercise. It would require massive preparation and resourcing. Since that time, the work's been dramatically developed and new streams of understanding that are very current are available from um, the British Psychological Society who've created a whole load of COVID resources that are available to the public and employers on their website. As well as the online environment and the resource that's needed, it's also, it also became very clear in um, early work as well as current work that home working can suit some people much better than others. And that's to do with their working styles, their skills and their personalities. And all of these things have played a role in the comfort with which we've made adjustments to home working. Some people have been able to adjust much more quickly and comfortably than others. The ability to make the good judgments as well is always heavily influenced by leader behaviour and that's more important in this kind of a working environment than it ever is. It's essential that managers and leaders set the tone and that they are responsive and aware that their staff will have different needs. When homeworking is done well, if correct policies are, are employed, are negotiated, there can be enormous benefits to home homeworking. In the best scenarios, it has been found that often people feel a greater sense of well-being. They can feel less physically drained after work. Things like cardiovascular arousal has been found to be lower in home workers when sort of more clinical um, evidence has been looked at. People have also talked about a better life-work balance um, and being more productive. But where there isn't preparation, where there isn't resource, there are enormous drawbacks, and that's around the lack of social support and work communities. It's about having less opportunity to share best practice and the knowledge. And all of that at the moment is emerging day by day. We're coming across new challenges and we're having to adopt new solutions. And that, the inability to share that is really frustrating, I think, and obstructive for a lot of workers. As well as that, we've got the, the fact that we've got limited health and safety input. You've got limited access to all the support services you would normally have. So as well as being good at your job, you have to be really good at everything. And that includes IT. And people have enormous ranges of competence and ability and confidence with their IT. There are also enormous problems with work-home boundaries. Where there hasn't been negotiation or preparation, there is a real blurring of the space between work and home. Um, and when that's happening as well, the distractions, the other things in our life, often really impact on productivity as well as well-being. Emma, thank you for that. One of the things that we found is that some of the most common forms of online abuse include things like cyberbullying, message bombing and trolling. What are the effects of these types of behaviours on an employee's mental health? huge effects on people's mental health from all of those things. Um, I mean, let's, let's focus on bullying um, to start with. Bullying, it's sometimes very hard to pin down, but generally it's thought to be or described as being a type of behaviour from either one person or a group of people that makes people feel either unwanted or uncomfortable. It also creates feelings of intimidation where you feel frightened it can cause people to feel degraded 
so less respected or put down. It can also lead to feelings of humiliation, especially where you're made fun of or if there are pile-ons of any kind. And there are also aspects of bullying that just lead to feelings of exclusion, so even just being left out deliberately is also a bullying act. Employers are responsible for preventing bullying or responding to bullying in the workplace. And it is important to make clear that they are liable for harassment suffered by their employees and need to have in place policies and support services. I think it's really important to say that the impact cannot be underestimated, especially at this time. Unwanted behaviour at work is bad enough in, normal, in the normal situation, but we now have a situation where workplace harassment isn't just at work. It's happening in every aspect of our lives because every work engagement we have is generally happening in our homes and that access has not yet been fully negotiated. There's a change in our relative status to our bosses and our colleagues. If we think about it, our bosses, our colleagues, our co-workers, our customers, our clients, they're now all guests in our home. And generally you would negotiate the behaviour and you would adopt the rules of the home that you're in and that's just not been happening I think up to this point. So whether that engagement be through WhatsApp or Microsoft Teams across Zoom it's really important that there's a level of mutual respect in this new dynamic. I want to reflect a little bit on what we know about the impacts of trolling cyber-stalking and cyber-harassment, when things are escalated further. And I think that we know that the effects of those sorts of behaviours is really profound. It has global effects. Um, we're looking at aspects of harm here that affect all areas of life, so as well as psychological harm, things like anxiety and depression, you're looking at an impact that causes a withdrawal from social activity. People we've worked with over the years and done research with over the years also talk about a loss of trust in relationships generally. So even if that harassment is only happening in one aspect of life or work, for example, there's a general damage that can happen to other relationships around you. And that leads to further isolation. We also know that persistent online harassment can have really significant social and financial effects. You know, people have reported leaving or changing jobs, loss of business and income, or having to interrupt their education. So huge impacts for, for future life, as well as current psychological well-being. I think as well the research has also told us that online harassment and trolling can sometimes be more damaging than physical or verbal abuse. And that's because often it's broadcast. So it doesn't just belong within one social group. You know, the audience, it, it may be no, no boundary, it may have no boundary. It also exists in environments that are parallel to one another, so it can't be retreated from. So if it's coming into your home via a network device, it's happening in your home, it's happening on your personal devices, it's happening in your social groups beyond the scope of your home or work. We've also found that single aggressive acts often have a, a bigger impact or, la or, or more lasting distress because of the permanence of the posting, the fact it's written somewhere, it can be available to be seen or revisited. I think as well more recently as more people become networked and more people are talking online, everyone is online, there are reports of 
things like secondary abuse, which are where abuse or pylons happen on the back of primary instances of aggression. And the sheer volume and persistence when that happens is traumatic because the communications are no longer just coming from one person, they're coming from a variety of people, and that's overwhelming. So thinking about that broadcast and that sense of pylon as well, that also has wider effects for society and the workplace in general because it has the effect of silencing people sometimes in, a, in quite a, a chilling way because other people become aware of that the toxicity of that communication and often become quiet or withdrawn because they fear attack or escalation themselves. Emma, I really thought you described this um, quite effectively. You mentioned a, a feeling of our bosses and colleagues being guests in our homes. And since the pandemic, the lines between, as you say, private and professional life are increasingly being blurred. What do you think that this means for us as a workforce going forward? The challenge of moving forward as a workforce is is huge and it can't be done without resourcing, without a renegotiation of policy and without real consideration of, of all of the individuals that make up the workforce and their particular needs. But what is clear is that this report indicates that there is a necessity for immediate action. As individuals thinking about workers in the workspace on their own, I think drawing the line between public and private life has always been a really tough line. Um, one of the aspects that, is, again, is emerging as helpful things is about trying to compartmentalise. You know, it's quite an artificial thing to do because it's all happening in your own home. But if you can decide which platforms you want to allocate as professional and which is private, there are steps that you can take to lock down the privacy and some of the platforms you use and some of the devices you use, perhaps, and make those invisible to work colleagues so they become a personal space again. There's some really excellent advice in the report that comes out with this podcast that really steers people in the right direction to be able to make some of those adjustments. It's also very important to say that platforms have a responsibility here too. You know, and we can't put all the responsibility here on employees or employers. All platforms need to have a clear and robust reporting procedure and really a zero tolerance policy in relation to online harms. Absolutely. And, uh, and I just wanted to build on that on a little bit because you touched on that responsibility of online platforms. We have found that these behaviours are manifesting themselves primarily on Facebook, WhatsApp and email, followed by Zoom, uh, Microsoft Teams, what should workers do to protect themselves? First stop is probably reading policies, you know, having a look at what your employment policy is around bullying, because let's not make any mistake here, whether it's online or offline, negative behaviours that cause discomfort, that cause distress, are bullying. You know, it doesn't matter if it just happens online. So it's important to know what your policies are, to get support to report, find out what the reporting policy is. It's also really important to record. Generally, with this sort of behaviour, people would always recommend that you keep a diary or a record of the bullying and the incidents that are happening to you. And that should probably include how the bullying made you feel, as well as the incident itself. The dates and times it happened, 
also consider are there any witnesses and that can mean who else was in that online meeting or who else was copied into that email if possible keep some evidence you know examples of emails or screenshots or media post so you've got a compilation of what happens to you as it happens to you there are also other things you can do to protect yourself outside of office hours this again is thinking about the blurred boundaries aspect many more people are now putting an auto reply on you know outside of office hours to make clear that actually I've left work now this is my auto reply I'll be back at my desk at nine o'clock other people have have indicated that it's helpful to restrict the number of devices you work through so as well as locking down your platforms a bit it has been quite useful to sometimes remove email accounts from things like your personal phone and have a device that you can walk away from because it removes the sense of work as being omnipresent which I think is difficult for people whether or not they're experiencing unwanted behaviours. There are other things you can do that again have come out of this early work that was looking at moving the workforce at home. You know, and that's doing things like interrupting, interrupting the pattern of your day. So the opportunities to decompress that we normally have in a working day, which are like your journey to work or your journey home or going out to get a sandwich. All of those have gone. So in a way, we have to interrupt the pattern ourselves, because if you don't, the stress of the day becomes quite incremental, you know, and then you, it builds. So even though you could work from the moment you get up out of bed from seven o'clock to seven p.m. without a break, it's not a good idea to do that. Other things that you can do are creating a routine that you can sustain. Largely. Many employees are still in a, in a bit of a crisis mode where we're actually operating on that routine, that 7am to 7pm, never taking time off situation. But that isn't sustainable. You know, in the short term, in a crisis response, yes, OK, lots of people were doing that. But we're now in month nine and we're looking at medium to long term planning. So it's it's really essential to perhaps reevaluate your routine and think about what's sustainable for you. I think it's also really important to make the point that you must protect your well-being. So if you aren't well, you would normally take time off work. But the fact that you can get to work because it's in your home, many people are keeping on working. So again, think about those personal boundaries. If you're unwell, take time off. If you have annual leave, if you're lucky enough to have annual leave, don't work through it. Protect your time, protect yourself. Thank you so much, Emma, for that fantastic advice. And I, I think particularly what struck me was that point around interrupting the pattern of your day, because you actually just don't consider how much of that routine has just left us and how sort of all invasive the work environment can become in your, in your everyday. My final question, Emma, was really just to reflect on what do we want to be asking ourselves when it comes to cyber safety? I think it's really important that we we ask ourselves about the responsibility for cyber safety. And I think the message that comes out from this report and from Susie's charter is that the responsibility for online personal safety really lies between the employer, the employee and online platforms. And all three need to communicate and work effectively together if we're going to ensure a safe online working environment. Emma, thank you so much for sharing all of your um, 
thoughts uh, and your expertise with us. It's been fantastic having you here today. And unfortunately, um, we've, we've run out of time for, for today. Well, thanks so much for having me. Um, this is a really important report and the work you've done here is, is going to be of huge value. Thank you so much, Emma. And we strongly agree with your view on the responsibility line between the employer, employee and online platforms. And there are guidelines on how to best protect workers' online personal safety on our website in the Cyber Safety at Work report. If any of our listeners have questions based on what has been discussed today or are in need of support, then please get in touch through the Susie Lamplu Trust website, which is www.susielamplu.org. Or you can also get support through the National Stalking Helpline on 0808 802 0300. Thank you for listening. Concerningly, over half the respondents to this survey said they had not had guidance around personal safety or loan working policies.